appreciate each and every one of you, your generosity today. God is a faithful God, and I'm so grateful for all of His people who can gather together in this place, uh, willing and ready to hear from the Lord. How many ready to hear from God this morning? Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter 4. How many of you have ever heard of the military installment called Fort Knox? Uh, Fort Knox is the nation's most heavily guarded uh, location. It is the place where uh, the nation's gold reserves are stored. Nobody actually really knows if the gold is there or not. But uh, so they say there's a whole, there's massive, massive amounts of 24 karat gold and, and uh, valuables and all kinds of things that need to be protected. <clears throat> and uh, so if you have those large amounts of resources and valuables, what you also must have is a way to protect it. And that's why Fort Knox has gained a reputation for being the most heavily guarded place uh, in the United States. Maybe someone here would be brave enough to try to break in to Fort Knox. I would like to give you just a little, uh, a little idea of what it might be like to try to break in to this military facility. First, you'd have to climb the four surrounding fences. Two of them are electrified. You would have to sneak past those armed sentinels that are all lining the perimeter. You'd have to avoid one of the 250 video cameras that are constantly keeping watch. Uh, you shouldn't even try to uh, blast through the granite walls. It would be nearly impossible since they are four feet thick and held together by 750 tons of reinforcing steel. If somehow possibly you could get past all of the armed guards that keep watch and the maze of locked doors that you would find inside, there is ultimately a final door before you get to the treasure. It is a 22-ton vault door. But don't despair. There is a way to get in. The vault can be opened but only if you find the multiple staff members who only know one small slice of the combination. If you could find all of them and hold them at gunpoint and get them to divulge their particular member of the combination, since nobody knows the whole thing altogether, then you could possibly get inside the vault. Once you're there, you'll have to break in again to the smaller vaults that are all tucked inside, and then finally you could start taking away the 5,000 tons of gold bullion stored inside. But be careful when you leave, because just outside the gates of Fort Knox is the military camp at which 30,000 soldiers will be waiting for you. And tanks. <laughs> this is our nation's economic heart. If, uh, if we were allow intruders to come into Fort Knox and take the gold, it would not only, uh, not only deplete the reserves of wealth that our nation has, but it would also say something about our ability to guard things, right? Did you hear that America let an intruder into Fort Knox? Wow, they must be slipping, right? This is what the world would begin to say. We would begin to have an internal dialogue. Are we even worth being a nation if we could allow intruders into the most heavily guarded place on our soil? I want to talk to you this morning about a part of your soul that is even more important for you to protect than the gold that is in Fort Knox. The Bible tells us this morning that we need to guard our heart with all diligence. And this morning, I want to suggest to you that if our nation 
deems it so important to guard 5,000 tons of gold bullion with all of these measures that we put in place, can I tell you it is even more important for you and I to guard the contents of our heart. Because what is in your heart this morning is more valuable than bullion. Because what comes out of your heart determines the direction of your life. And so this is a message I've titled, Keep Your Heart This Morning. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Word of God says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot. From evil. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. Lord, I come in my own weakness. Lord, believing that you are able to strengthen and you are able to bring direction for the lives of your people this morning. I'm praying, God, that you would anoint every word, God, by the Holy Spirit. Anoint the ears that are listening, God, even at this moment, that you would inspire someone this morning to rebuild the walls that protect the hearts of your people today. I'm praying, God, that you would help us today, that you would uh, that you would lead us into, uh, into greater and more perfect ministry before you. We thank you for all that you're going to do. Build every testimony in this place in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Amen. Keep your heart. I want to begin by looking at the need for a guarded heart. Every one of you has something so precious and so valuable that is stored within your soul. And the Bible describes your heart. Now, when we begin to speak about the heart this morning, yes, included in that is the physical muscle that is beating within your chest at about 80 beats per minute, even at this very moment. Your physical muscle, the organ that supplies blood and oxygen to every corner of your body, is certainly the most, one of the most important parts of your body. Even though you may be in top physical condition, if there is some problem with your heart, it can still kill you. I've heard stories of, uh, of athletes who are in tip-top shape, who go to the gym and work out and build muscle and play football or basketball, but the, the problem is that some of them, I've heard, can, can uh, suffer from an enlarged heart. Did you ever hear of that problem? an enlarged heart, and that heart begins to, uh, to beat at, uh, with AFib, a, uh, you know, beats off of time, and can cause great problems. And even in a tip-top phys- physical shape, a heart that isn't working correctly can still destroy you. And so I want to say to you that when we talk, when the Bible begins to speak about the heart of the man, it is not necessarily speaking about that muscle that's in your chest. The Bible speaks about the heart. It's, what it's really talking about is the center of your life. The center of your life. And so uh, we understand that there are many places in the Bible where God begins to speak to the heart of man. The biblical heart that we're talking about today is the center of your thoughts and your emotions. What we learn from the Bible this morning is that when God is speaking to you, He doesn't speak to your brain. We all have brains. We all have the ability to think. We all have mental capacity. But God doesn't want to speak to your brain, to your intellect. You know why? Because the intellect is part of you. It's your egotistical part of you. It's the part that you can control, your thoughts and and. and Uh, and your intellect, that is the heart of man. It's part of our flesh, our intellect. And so when God wants to get his message across to you, God doesn't speak to your intellect. He speaks to your heart. He speaks to your center of your being, your thoughts and your emotions. 
good sermons in the same way need to get past the intellect and go deeper into the heart of man. There are many scriptures that describe this. Proverbs 23, verse 19. Hear my son and be wise and guide your heart in the same way. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me. It's amazing when you begin to study the biblical account of what your heart is capable of. Stick with me this morning. Think about what your heart, the center of your being, is capable of. Listen to Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In other words, God looked at this pre-flood world and He saw that the heart of man could only think wickedly. Did you know that your heart can think? Your heart can have a thought. We're not talking about the intellect or the cerebral. or We're not talking about the, uh, the, the spongy uh, brain matter that's in your head. We're talking about the thoughts of your heart. And when God saw that the entire world could only think with their heart evil continually, God said, I've got to do something about this. Genesis 17, 17, And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Did you know that your heart can speak? It says that Abraham's heart, he began to speak in his heart. So without those thoughts coming out loud, the Bible said that Abraham began to speak in his heart. These are words that don't necessarily come out of your mouth, but they are words that occur in the heart of man. What do the words of your heart speak? What do the thoughts of your heart contain? Genesis 43, verse 30. Now his heart yearned for his brother So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. This is the story of Joseph, how he sees his brothers for the first time after so many years. He's there as the viceroy of Egypt in command and in control. And here come his brothers to ask for mercy and for food. And he was disguised and they didn't know him, but he knew them instantly. And the Bible says when he saw them, his heart began to yearn for them. His heart began to desire, oh, these are my brothers. And he wanted to embrace them and be reunited to them. But in the moment, he had to maintain his physical identity. And so he had to make haste and and find somewhere to weep. Your heart this morning can yearn for things. It can yearn for good things as Joseph yearned to be reunited to his brothers. You know, your heart can also yearn for evil things. Your heart can yearn to do things that are not part of God's purpose and plan. In Exodus 4, verse 14, it says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is coming to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Your heart can experience emotions like gladness. Exodus 7, verse 13, Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them. Can I tell you, beloved, we live in a generation where hearts are growing hard, where there is coldness of hearts on many people, where the family unit breaks down and where husbands and wives don't stay together or don't even get married, and where families are split apart, what can happen as a result is the hardness of hearts. The Bible describes how hearts can become like stone, cold. Exodus 35, verse 21, it said, Then everyone who came, whose heart was stirred, whose spirit was willing, and they gave an offering. Can I tell you that your heart this morning can be stirred? When Jesus came on the scene, He told a parable about how the Word of God is like the seed that is planted into the soil. And what Jesus said is that 
that soil, everyone has a different kind of soil. That is a picture of different kinds of hearts this morning. Different kinds of reception to the Word of God. When we come into the house of God to hear His Word, we've got to prepare the soil of our hearts. You can't come up in the house of God without preparing. How do you prepare soil? You've got to put some water on it. You got to take a shovel and turn over the soil. If you've if you've ever done any planting, you know you've got to mix up the soil, stir it up, so that it can receive the seed of the word of God. And that's what we do. And that's why we worship at the beginning of every service because these songs are intended not just to be happy little songs that we sing, but they're intended to stir the heart of you and I to open an opportunity for God to deposit a seed into your heart. Leviticus 19, verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. Hatred is an activity of the heart. Hatred is something that comes from the heart of man. Deuteronomy 4, 29, from there you will seek the Lord, your God, and you will find Him if you seek Him with what? All of your heart. Your heart is so important. It is the most important part of you in your relationship with God. And that's why in our scripture, Proverbs 4, verse 23, the Bible says we must keep or guard our heart. We must keep and guard our hearts, just like the gold in Fort Knox. And here's the reason why, in verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it, out of your heart, springs the issues of your life. Can I tell you, there's, there's not, there, is, uh, there is a reason why things happen in our lives. There's a reason why we have certain thoughts. Now, you might think that the events of your life are just random. They're just, uh, I don't know what, why it happened, it just happened. Sometimes there are random things that happen to us for no good reason. But can I tell you, more often than not, the reason that we go through the things that we are going through is because something has sprung out of our heart years ago and we are now living in the consequence of what came out. This is true for the good, and it's true for the the evil. I often describe this to new converts and new believers because what I understand about new believers is that once you come into the kingdom of God, you're going to have a wonderful few days or weeks and months of life, this new convert experience where you begin to know the Savior. It's a wonderful thing. But do you know what doesn't change after you get saved? The consequences of all your bad decisions out of the heart spring some issues. How many got some issues? How many of your issues got some issues? <laughs> because something sprang out from a decision. It could have been a year ago, or three, or five, or ten years ago, but that decision, something sprang out of the heart. And now, today, 5, 10, 15 years later, still dealing with the fruit of that wicked weed that sprang out from your heart. That's why it is so critical this morning that the Bible tells us to keep and guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because out of it springs the issues of life. When Jesus was on the earth, he received criticism from the Pharisees. You might recall this. And one day he was uh, was there and the Pharisees came. And the Bible said that they saw his disciples beginning to eat something. Well, in the Jewish laws and the customs, that uh, every time a Jewish person would eat, they would have to first do some ceremonial hand washing. The Jews were the first to practice uh, the hand sanitizer. They were, the, they, they were onto it long before we were. But in their customs, they would take a basin of water and they would pour it on their hands and they would have a ceremony. 
And it was all designed as a gratitude to God for the meal that they were about to partake in. And so one day the disciples are eating something and the Pharisees see it and they, they were like, hey, your disciples, Jesus, they forgot to do their hand washing. They forgot all about that. And Jesus began to rebuke the Pharisees and he said, listen, the filthiness of your soul does not come from outside. He says the true filth that is in every heart, is in every man, comes out of a man. He's not concerned about the food that goes into the mouth and comes out the other side. What's really nasty about the human soul is what comes out from within. Out of the heart, Jesus says. Spring the issues of life. In other words, this morning, the issues that you are dealing with today is not just about what has happened to you. Life is about 20% what happens to you and about 80% how you process it in your heart. Matthew 15, this is where Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. Matthew 15, verse 19, Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, and blasphemy. He says it comes, these things don't come from nowhere. It's not just a sickness or a disease. I couldn't control myself. I couldn't help it. Pastor, all I did was I showed up and and I committed a murder. No, no, no. It starts in the heart. It starts with an anger, with a rage. All of the things that we are dealing with in our lives, can we be honest, has come from the heart of man. Mark 7, verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Jesus said all these things come from within and defile the man. Matthew 12, 35, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. So, let me ask you. If you had a magical box in your house, a magical box like a a genie's lamp or something, you had a magical item in your house, and if you kept the the, the magical box, if you kept it clean and you kept it pure, then it would cause the rest of your life to be blessed. If you had this magical box and you could keep it in perfect condition, that it could instantly make all of the things in your life easier to deal with. Wouldn't you keep that box under a lock and key? Wouldn't you keep it in a nice and clean condition? Wouldn't you put it in a place of protection? Can I tell you? You all have a magical box that does exactly that. It's called your heart. And when you keep your heart, when you guard your heart, I tell you this morning, it can be a great blessing for the rest of your life. Can I tell you, the reason that Jesus died on the cross... And the reason that he needed to be resurrected from the dead was to change your heart. All that Jesus did was to redeem the heart of man. Your heart, apart from God, apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ, and apart from the influence of the Holy Spirit, is like the hearts of those people before the flood. Can only think evil continually. But through the cross, through the blood of Jesus, the Bible speaks about this in Ezekiel, how God can take the heart of stone out of your your chest and replace it with a heart of flesh, a heart that beats, a heart that has power to live for God. Can I ask you this morning, how are you guarding your heart?
What procedures and policies have you placed in order to keep your heart from wickedness? You say, Pastor, I haven't put in any policies in place. I don't know what I need to do. I'm glad that you're here at church this morning. Because in our scripture, we have a threefold strategy for guarding the heart. I don't know if you caught it the first time we read it, but you're going to catch it now. There are three other parts of your body that are directly linked to the guarding of your heart. And that's where we're going to turn back to our scripture in Proverbs chapter 4. And we're going to find those three other body parts that directly link to the keeping or the guarding of your heart. Now, when you are driving, let me use this illustration. When you're driving, you ought to be very thankful for guardrails. Just, uh, just down the road here, there is a, uh, uh, actually this way, there is a, there's a little ravine. We drive by it every single day. And there's a, there's a little river down there. It's just on the, on the backside of our church here. And, uh, and there's a bridge on Linhaven Parkway here that, that goes right over that, that, little, that little creek. And, you know, we drive over that bridge almost every day without even thinking about it. And if you were to look at the side of the road where that bridge is, do you know what you would see? You would see guardrails. Because the reason those guardrails are there is so that if there is some chance that a driver will lose control of his vehicle, the idea is that the car would bump into that guardrail and bounce off of it rather than going off the road and into the ditch, into the creek. It's a lot safer for you, for you to to scratch up and ding up the side of your car on a guardrail rather than flying off the edge and going nose first into a creek. Guardrails are a wonderful thing. Now that's true of our little little creek that's right here, which protects you from maybe a six or seven foot drop. But let me tell you, if you've ever been driving in like Colorado or Arizona or places where there's some big mountains, then you'll be California or you, you will be even more grateful for a guardrail when you look over the side of the road and you're seeing about 10,000 feet. You know what I'm talking about? There is a place uh, uh, near uh, Arizona, right there on the border with Nevada, the Hoover Dam. Anybody ever been there? The Hoover Dam. Wow. There is a, there is a drive that goes down to the Hoover Dam, and it's like one of, those, you know, one of those snake roads that goes back and forth because it's such a steep hill to get all the way down. And when you're driving on that, I seen this guy one time driving on that road, and he had a big old uh, a, a boat that he was towing on the back of his truck. And I thought for sure, man, that truck was going to fly off and going to pull the truck after it. Boy, I bet that guy was thankful for some guardrails. The idea is that if I bump the guardrail, it's way better to get a scratch on my car than to go all the way off the cliff. Here's what I want to tell you about your heart this morning. In our scripture, we have three guardrails. We have three walls that we can build around our heart with the intention of protecting and keeping our heart. And here they are. Look at verse 24. The first guardrail that we must protect our heart with is your mouth. Verse 24. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put perverse lips far from you, a deceitful mouth. The word deceitful in the original Hebrew language, it means crooked, distorted, or twisted. The first priority in protecting your heart is to keep your mouth Sometimes the best advice a pastor can give, shut your darn mouth. Stop speaking. If you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. That's good advice. James 1.26 If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, 
then this religion is useless. One of the first marks of true salvation in the life of any person is that your mouth will change. The words that you speak. You won't begin to spout all of that wicked, evil, putrid. You know, I've had people come and begin to puke all over me with their words. You know, you wouldn't just let that let somebody do that, would you? You, you saw somebody who started getting sick right in front of you and started throwing up and all the vomit started splashing all over your life. Would you just stand there and say, oh, hi, nice to see you. Oh, good. Thank you. You wouldn't do that, would you? He's like, ah, get away, go to the bathroom, go, let me go change my clothes, right? In the same way, beloved, you don't just let people puke all over you with their words, with their negative speech, with their doubt and fears. Don't let that happen. Because why? Because we need to guard our hearts. This is a guardrail. When I begin to sense that there is negative speech around me, I try my hardest, whether it's coming from me or coming from others, that's a guardrail that I bounce up against and say, watch out, this doesn't go anywhere but down. Be careful how you speak, James. Back to James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. One of the enemy's greatest weapons is your tongue, your mouth. A twisted and crooked mouth. Every bird, he goes on, For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. What comes out of your mouth? If you want to guard your heart, the treasure of your heart, For out of your heart springs the issues of life. The first strategy, watch your mouth. Don't let evil words proceed out of your own mouth. Sometimes, you know, we have this habit of letting words come out without thinking about them first. It's dangerous when when your mouth is going faster than your brain. It's a good policy to speak slowly. To think about your words and all of the poison that they could release, not only in your heart, but in the hearts of people around you. I've seen parents who poison their children with the words that they speak. I've seen children who poison the entire house because of the words that they speak. I've seen pastors ruin churches, and I've seen disciples and people in churches ruin pastors. Because of the puke. If we're going to keep our hearts, the first rail we've got to protect with is our heart. Guard your heart. uh, When James said that no man can tame the tongue, truly he's right, but that's why we need the Holy Spirit. You can't tame your tongue on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. Who is it that causes you to think? Before you speak, rather than speak before you think? The Holy Spirit does that. In fact, the very first miracle that the Holy Spirit does for the New Testament church is that He comes down on the day of Pentecost and He begins to change the way the church speaks. It was a miracle of the tongue, wasn't it? And the Holy Spirit still does miracles for your tongue, if you will allow Him. Second rail that we see in our scriptures in verse 25. A second body part that must be kept if we're going to keep our hearts. It is your eyes. Ojos. Let your eyes look straight ahead. And let your eyelids look right before you. Isn't that interesting? 
Second strategy for keeping your heart right with God is to be careful what you are looking at. What you're looking at. I want to tell you, we are in a visual culture. A culture that is stimulated by visual things. Now, I could, I could stand up here and I could preach to you about all the things that you shouldn't be looking at. There's a whole lot. There's pornography. There's advertisements. There are things that we should not be giving our eyes to. We should not uh, be giving our eyes to violence, right? And, you know, it's amazing to me to see how quickly the images have begun to slide. I can remember, you know, seeing a a PG-13 movie back in the 90s, and you compare that to a PG-13 movie today, and it is way different. A PG-13 movie today was like, Rated R back then. But the visual standards have slipped, haven't they? And now we allow, we say that a 13-year-old can go in and, and watch something on the screen that's violent, that contains all kind of profanity, and we say, oh, that's okay, they're 13, they can handle it. Uh-uh, I can't handle some of that. We need to guard our eyes. A good rule of thumb about is it appropriate for me to put in front of my eyes is this. Would you allow it to happen in your living room? If you go to a movie and you see two people getting all hot and heavy on the screen in a PG-13 movie, let me ask you, if two people came in your front door and started doing that on, in your living room, would you allow that to continue? If you, would, would you allow violence and profanity and people shooting at each other in your living room? Would you allow that? I don't think so. And yet, we have a 64-inch big screen, and we allow it in our living room every day. There are some things we shouldn't be giving our eyes to. Many things. Now, I'm not here to give you a list of the Potter's House-approved TV shows and movies. That would be foolishness. What the Bible does is something much wiser. The Bible tells us what to give our eyes to. It doesn't say, don't look at this, don't look at that, don't look at this, don't do this, stop doing all of those things. No. You know what the Bible says? Keep your eyes on something. And what is that something? It says, keep, let your eyes look straight ahead. Let your eyes be stuck on the kingdom of God. Hebrews 12 gives us even better direction. Hebrews 12 verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wow, if you could keep your eyes on that, your life would be a lot better. And your heart would be pure. Your heart would be able to go through the things of this life and not get all jaded and twisted. Listen to Isaiah 31, verse 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Isaiah says we need to keep our eyes on the Holy One. Keep our eyes on Jesus. That famous story of Peter. Peter, as they're out in 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 the Sea of Galilee, it's nighttime. It's dangerous. They're on the sea. There's a storm. There's wind. There's waves and the Disciples are fearful. Jesus is not with them. And they're there, and they think they're, they're about to die. And, and as they look out on the water, what do they see? They think is a ghost. They're all freaked out. You'd be freaked out, too. It'd be like one of those horror shows at Halloween. They see Jesus walking on the water. Then they recognized him, right? And Peter, thank God for Peter, He opens his mouth and he says, Lord, if it is you, then bid me to come. 
And Jesus is like, all right, come on, Peter. And, you know, we talk about Peter because he opened his big fat mouth every once in a while and said some stupid stuff. But there was not one other person on earth except for Jesus who stepped out of the boat and walked on the waves. And that's exactly what Peter did. And all the disciples were freaked out, but Peter, as long as he kept his eyes on the Lord, was walking on water. Now, what does the Bible say? He started getting afraid. He, he realized that the wind was blowing. He looked down and he saw all, all the waves that are splashing around him. And the Bible said as soon as his eyes went away from Jesus, that he started to sink. Lord, save me. I'm sinking. I'm drowning. I'm going to die. And thank God Jesus picked him up and saved him. But what did he say? Why did you take your eyes, ye of little faith? <laughs> you know, if it was me, I'd be like, good job, Peter. You did great, man. That was awesome. That's not what Jesus said. He rebuked him. You of little faith, you took your eyes off of me. Can I tell you, this Christian life, that whole story is a little microcosm of what it's like to live for God. As long as our eyes are on Jesus, that we can walk on the troubles, the difficulty, the pain, the problems. Yes, it's happening around us. And yes, it's under our feet, but we can keep our eyes on Jesus. Oh, beloved, we can guard our hearts. We can keep our heart right. One of the most powerful things that you'll ever do is simply to keep your heart right. When you're going through times of temptation and trials, when the rumors are swirling, when people are talking bad about the church, people are talking, saying evilness and lies, keep your heart. You know how you do that? By keeping your eyes fixed upon Jesus. What do you give your eyes to? What do you give your attention and your focus to? When we talk about our eyes, that's what we're talking about. What can you see? What do you put in front of you? Keep your eyes upon Jesus. Finally, let's look at the third strategy and we'll bring this to a close. Verse 26, it's a third part of your body that helps you protect your heart. It's in verse 26. Ponder the path of your feet. And let all your ways be established. Together with that, verse 27, do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. So the third strategy of keeping your heart right is to watch your feet. It's interesting to me how often the Bible speaks about your feet. You know, we live in a culture that, man, feet are nasty. Feet are dirty, smelly, all kind of fungus and nasty stuff happening down there. When the Bible speaks about feet, though, there's a very solid biblical connection between thinking and your feet. So when the Bible says ponder the path, everybody say the word ponder. Boy, this is something we're not very good at in 2019. We're good at instant reactions. We're good at emotional, uh, instantaneous how do I feel in the moment? But pondering things takes time. That word in the Hebrew, it means to weigh, to make level, to balance. Have you ever seen those videos? I saw the video online of, of a guy who, uh, who spends all this time balancing these rocks on top of each other. He'll take like five rocks out of a, out of a pond, and he'll just, it takes him forever. And he'll, he'll set one up, and then he'll take the second one, and he'll, he'll find just like a little teeny tiny divot inside that rock, and he'll make it perfect until it balances. And then he'll take a second big old rock, and he'll begin to balance it. You know, it takes time. You've got to get exactly the right location. And then, he'll, and then he's got a stack of four or five of these huge, massive rocks balancing together on one another. That's the idea in the scripture, in the word ponder. To balance things out. To think about. 
where you're going. When it comes to your feet, beloved, we've got to be able to think about where we're going. We've got to be able to think about how one step is going to lead to another step, is going to lead to this step, which will lead me then to freedom. You ever played chess? Chess is a game of thinking, pondering. How will this move affect? If I do this, then I'm going to have to do that, and they're going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and this again. And there's all of these possibilities. The biblical definition of wisdom is being able to predict how a situation will turn out. If I speak these words, if I make this decision, if we go this if I take this step, how is that going to play out? Versus if I take this step, how is it going to play out? How do we keep our hearts right? How do we protect and guard our hearts, beloved? Part of it is pondering the direction of our feet. Listen to the biblical connection between thinking and feet. Psalm 119, verse 59, I thought about my ways and I turned my feet to your testimony. Isn't that interesting? I thought about my ways and I turned my feet to your testimonies. Ephesians 5, verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Do you consider your path this morning? Do you consider that if, if I go to church this morning, it's going to affect my life in this way, that way, this way, that and so I'm, that's the step I'm going to take. If I don't go to church this morning, it could possibly lead to this or to that or to that other thing that I don't want to happen. I've got to guard my heart, so I'm going to go this way. Right? There's a connection between pondering and the path of your feet. Verse 27 goes on and says, do not turn to the right or to the left. This to me, you know what it speaks about? Being faithful. Being faithful and steadfast and constant in our, in our commitment to be diligent, to be faithful, equality that is forgotten in our generation, that I'm going to keep on doing what's right. Even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, I'm not going to take a shortcut. I'm not going to deviate from the path that God has set before me. I spoke in the last sermon about how Jesus set His face like a flint toward Jerusalem. He said, that's the way I'm going. I'm not going to go to the left or to the right. I'll continue to take one step after another. Every day that we live, beloved, is a step that we are taking either toward God or away from Him. I close with the illustration of the 3rd Infantry, the Old Guard. Some of you have been to Washington, D.C. in Arlington Cemetery, where there is, on constant duty, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days per year, there is a group of men and women called the 3rd, the 3rd, what are they called? 3rd Infantry, and they are called the Old Guard. And these are men who, men and women who have been uh, uh, selected for a very specific task, and that is to guard the tomb of the unknown soldier. How many have ever been there? You've seen it? Maybe on TV? And they have a very specific routine that they do. They change the guards every so often. I think it's every 30 minutes. And they, they, if, if that's the tomb of the unknown soldier, right, and they have a path that they walk in front of it, and it's 21 steps, and I'm not even going to try to, uh, to do what they do. But I'm telling you, it's amazing. The whole procedure that they do, they march back and forth. It's 21 steps. And they go back and forth. And they change the guard. And so the point is that no matter what the time of day, no matter what day of the week, there's somebody out there guarding the tomb. Do you know what that is? That's the heart of our nation. The unknown soldier, the one who has died on the battlefield for you so that you can be free. And they guard this box, this tomb, every day 
And maybe you've seen when there's, a, when there's a blizzard and they'll put a camera on these guys out there in the blizzard walking back and forth. Or maybe you've seen them when there's a hurricane blowing by. I remember a few years ago when Matthew passed through and we were all hunkered down in our houses hoping that we wouldn't get flooded. But you know who was out there standing and marching? was the old guard. Marching back and forth, guarding the heart of our nation. You say, it's, it's symbolic. What's the big deal? There's nothing actually in there. No, no, no. That's the heart of our nation. And they are there to protect it and defend it. Can I tell you, we have to be as steadfast as the old guard when it comes to protecting our hearts. Because out of your heart springs the issues of life. I want to encourage you today that when the storms are blowing, when the difficulties come, we can allow our heart to be protected. If we'll watch our mouth, we will keep our eyes, and we will stay true to the path of our feet. Let's bow our heads this morning and close our eyes. Keeping your heart with all diligence is difficult. It's not an easy task. Our hearts are wicked, the Bible says. As we enter into this world and as we, as we, uh, as we begin to live this life, we realize that our, our hearts are sinful. That's why we made such a mess of our lives before we knew Jesus. We didn't understand that our heart was like soil And whenever we planted an evil seed into that soil, it begins to multiply like a little weed. And we live in the consequences of our bad decisions. That's why the Bible says that we are all fallen short of God's glory. It's because of a wicked heart that leads us to wicked deeds and ultimately means separation from God.